are standing by right now is the one and the only Sean Mooney. Who? Mooney, everybody's got a price for the million dollar man. After you threw him off through the announce table, Taker climbs back down, he gets in the ring, and he goes, see if he's breathing. So right before I called 911, I thought she'd fallen asleep. Kind of shook her a little bit to, to wake her up, and she did not respond. I don't go down to my, go to my grave testifying or whatever, swearing that Davey was not on drugs. If he was on drugs, the way Brett says, how does, I mean, how great does that make Davey? Are you laughing, Sean? I get off the track here all the time. Did you just laugh, Sean? If they would do a movie about your life, who would you want to play your part? (laughs) Uh, Well, George Clooney, of course. (laughs) Who else could it be? Attention, Sean Mooney, you scum, you slime, you maggot. If there's no further questions, you're dismissed. Carry on, maggot. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to another edition of PTSM. Coming off our episode with David Penzer, the man who decided he was going to be a part of the world of professional wrestling, whether they paid him or not. And for a long time, they didn't. But he was determined, and he just wouldn't give up. He became a part of the history of the WCW in the process. Uh, Did it all. Was a ring announcer there in the late 80s when the organization struggled and then was there During the glory days, the rise of WCW and the now legendary 83 weeks, he was there for all of that, and he was also there when it fell apart. And a great conversation with David Penzer. I want to thank uh, David for coming on. And, of course, we've got another uh, great episode to follow that all up. An awesome episode is on the way this week. We have, are you ready for it, The Warlord. Uh, Terry Zapinski is featured this week, and what a fascinating individual he is. Uh, Certainly one of the most massive superstars to ever step into the ring. I mean, I I tell you, I just remember the size of that guy uh, when I was with the WWF, just just gazing at him. And, you know, I was around a lot of big humans, but, man, he was just incredible. And and I don't care what organization you're talking about. And uh, what's really also uh, so interesting is that he came – from that contingent of superstars from Minnesota. Uh, he didn't go to Robbinsdale High like the rest of them, you know, Kurt Hennig and Rick Rouge or Joe Laurinaitis, uh, you know, the list goes on and on. But he is uh, from that state uh, of Minnesota uh, that was really a breeding ground for some of the greatest wrestlers in the history of the business. I don't know what they had in the water there, but uh, the Warlord is going to join us. Just a beast. And what an incredible story, and you will hear it coming up. I've got a lot more to tell you about, but what do you say? Let's get to it. Let's get to the conversation with the warlord. Ding, ding, ding. In the late 80s and early 90s, big, massive, powerful wrestlers were in high demand in the WWF in both singles and tag competition. Uh, And there were a few superstars who possessed all those ingredients and beyond, and that certainly included the Warlord. When he stepped into the arena, he had you, folks. And after you saw him destroy other men in the ring the way he did, it was an experience you would never forget. And I witnessed it many times, and it remains with me to this day. Uh, Terry Sapinski, uh, rather, the Warlord, welcome to primetime. How are you, Terry? Good evening. How are you doing? Fantastic. Hey, uh, 
Terry, you're about six five, and uh, you know there were other men in the WWF that were that height and even taller. But when it came to sheer massiveness, um, with the exception of of Animal and Hawk, and I still think you had the edge there. I don't recall anybody else coming close. Was was that the idea then that you just wanted to be more massive than anyone else? Yeah, like everybody else, I want to be bigger than everybody else out there. Yeah, I mean that's kind of how how it was. Um, and, uh, you would eventually, uh, you know, find your way to the WWF. Uh, but I want to talk first though, uh, early on when, when this all began with you and you grew up in Minnesota, uh, which is like the land of superstars when you really come down to, you, you know, the list is just, uh, you know, so long of all these great, great wrestlers that came out of that state. Um, but you weren't part of that Robbinsdale group. So tell me a little bit about growing up in Minnesota and how it did lead you to uh, Joe Laurinaitis. Well, I uh, actually was born in Wisconsin, yeah. moved to Minnesota when I was real young, uh, lived on the east side of Bloomington, which was out by the old uh, Met Stadium where the Vikings played. Uh-huh. So I remember all the traffic going to games every single weekend all the time. Growing up, I was a little kid and that stuff. <clears throat> then I uh, grew moved over to the uh, west side of Bloomington. Um, graduated high school over there and uh, went to college down in Iowa. And uh, when I came home, I was just kind of undecided what I wanted to do. And I started training at a gym, which was called The Gym, which was in yeah. Plymouth, Minnesota, and uh, happened to run across uh, Animal at that time with the Road Warriors. Yeah. Now, before that, though, Terry, uh, I want to, you were quite an athlete. And I, I uh, imagine, was football a big part of your life then? You mentioned the Vikings, where you, uh, I think the, the age would, uh, you know, considering where we are, men of a certain age that, uh, you know, was that during the Tarkenton era? Were you, were, you know, just a huge football fan? Yeah, I loved, uh, I love my Vikings. I'm still the biggest Vikings fan <laughs> in the world right now yet. Yeah. It's funny because you talk about, you know, football. And yeah. when I was growing up, actually, when I was in, uh, when I was young, I actually played soccer. I didn't play football. And really? I was on a traveling soccer team. Yeah, it's traveling soccer team. And I actually started when I was in uh, ninth grade for our senior team, which was a three-time state champion. And the only reason I got into football is because my uh, coaches, after my junior year, um, retired. And the football coach kept recruiting me, recruiting me, and they decided to go play football. Wow. So, but uh, I don't know how much height you had at that point, but how big were you when you are playing soccer? Uh, I was probably about one... Maybe 180, about 180. Okay, and and well over six at that point. Yeah, yeah, and I was I was about six four. I was I was about my six four. Wow. So I mean, how old are you when you're that tall? I'm I'm just trying to figure that you are already this this uh, very. Yeah, I was I was about that tall when I was uh, 16 years old. Wow. Okay. Uh, and so they get he gets you into football by default in a sense. You got nowhere else yeah, to go. They got me in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they did because I just, uh, like I said, I lost my coaches. I love the coaches and uh, yeah. the uh, the football coaches came coming and I, he was he was a very good person. He was a good man, so yeah. I thought football would be a good thing to go to. Okay, so you you start playing football now. At this point, what are you? I mean, you a sophomore or a junior? When did you actually start playing organized football? No, I was uh, I was a senior, senior in high school. So you never played before that. No, I played. I played when I was real, real young. 
but not I since then. I uh, yeah. I actually uh, actually amateured wrestling AU, which is a four-time national champion in that. Yeah. And uh, I played uh, some uh, some basketball, and uh, I played soccer. Wow. And and so uh, were you a natural at football? I, I don't know. Imagine what they put you in there, but uh, at this point. Uh, I mean, were you a linebacker, lineman? What, where did they have you? I played fullback. <laughs> no, no. So you were, were you, uh, besides powerful, um, were you have a little speed too? Yeah. I mean, oh yeah. I, I you know, when I went, when I went up to college, um, my, uh, one year I was, uh, 270 pound. And I turned into a defensive tackle and I ran a four, six, eight forty in college. Uh, what? What? Say that again. <laughs> yeah, I ran. I ran a four six eight forty four, when I was six, in college. Eight. Oh, yeah, yeah, four six eight. All I ran. Right. Wow. Yeah. So <laughs> that's amazing. And uh, so, uh, did you go to college? What? What did you did you play sports? Yeah, I uh, I actually got a scholarship. I got a lot of scholarship offers um, that year, and I, I ended up choosing uh, University of Northern Iowa. Uh huh. To play football. And, uh, went down there. They had, yeah, they had that nice dome down there. Um, they were Division Two at the time, but they were going Division One AA then. Yeah. And uh, it was it was, it was nice. I, I enjoyed it. Very very good football program down there. Great football program now. Now they're in the top ten every year. Yeah. And so yeah, I mean, you're gaining size at this point. I mean, if you're, uh, I don't. They had you yeah. playing fullback then, but. No, I uh, when I got down there, I I, I was fullback. Then they moved me over to. Uh, defensive tackle and then i just uh you know that's where i actually started getting to the weights and that stuff i started training hard everything else and shot up to about 270 okay so how long did you play i played through my uh junior year um we got a new coach and i really didn't see eye to eye with his philosophy on the game yeah so i kind of left it so you're, were you tired of it at that point um playing college sports yeah, it was just kind of kind of that was enough for a while. Yeah. yeah. All right. So now are we caught up here with this? Uh, you end up at this gym that uh, the Joe has, and uh, he sees you. Is this about about the right timing we're talking about? It was a little bit after that. I uh, okay. after that I came home. It was maybe about probably about two years after that. About two yeah. years. Yeah. And what he just saw you? I mean, you're 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 just you're just banging iron, and he's like, "Hey, this guy's got got some talent or something." What, how did that happen? I was I was just a bigger guy. I guess I had to look at the time. And he told me to go get some uh, pictures done. Mm-hmm. Pictures done. I still have my wall here in my house. I look like a, I look like a young lumberjack. That's exactly what I look <laughs> like. A young lumberjack in tights or in in tights. That's what I look like. It was funny looking. Oh. And the funny thing is, Joe told me, he told me, you know, Terry, go get it done. So I uh, got the pictures, gave it to him, and um, he brought it down to uh, Dusty Rhodes at NWA, and Dusty loved it. And uh-huh. he gives me a call back. He says, Dusty went down here like about uh, a week. So it's like I got a week to get prepared to go to North Carolina. Wow. And at this point, uh, I know you're, what, you're around 6'5 or so, but are you, are you – What's your fighting weight at this point? Because I know I think when you were in the WWF, you're probably tipping the scale at, at three and a quarter and more. What, how big were you then? Yeah, I was. I, I at that time I was probably about two ninety five. I would say. Yeah. And just shredded. 
It's mass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got to see these a, pictures. I'm, yeah. I'm a big, I'm a, I, I laugh, I'm a Pollock. That's what yeah. I am. So that's, uh, I mean, I, I just, I want to see these pictures because I just have to uh, imagine what you look like then. But, you know, and Joe, it's interesting because, uh, you know, Joe played a role in a lot of uh, superstars' lives. Um, he was uh, also with Nikita Koloff. He he got him his start and got him, you know, said, hey, show up here and uh, got him rolling with, with Crockett. Um, and so, I mean, I don't know if it was. Uh, when it came, uh, you know, his way, or or the gym was just a place that attracted a lot of people. What do you think it was? The gym was a breeding ground. Listen, Minnesota guys at that time were huge. Yeah, a lot of big people in Minnesota. And it's every, everything in wrestling. Everybody else, says it must be the water in Minnesota because that's where all the big guys came out of. Yeah, I mean, it is. It's amazing. And uh, I, I think that the the reason they even got in the gym is they just got the gym is that they just wanted a place where they could work out and, uh, you know, let basically in people who they wanted in and not have other ones they didn't. I mean, was that kind of what it was? It was just kind of this place uh, that became no, this brotherhood? Kind of, no, they just let everybody, but it just, there was just such big guys at that time. I, yeah. I always say, you know, in Minnesota, you know, what else do you have to do in the winter? I mean, you either... <laughs> You either sleep, you eat, or you train. Or ice you fish? Do. Go drill a hole in the ice somewhere? Or, or, well, <laughs> I, 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 I've tried ice fish. That, that's another world. <laughs> it, it, it is. It's just, uh, I don't know how it was this epicenter for a lot, I mean, for, for wrestling. And we know that, you know, Ganya was there, and, and we I, I get the reason why a lot of these guys ended up there, because they're, you know, they were part of the wrestling legacy. Their dads were in it. But it's still incredible how many came out of there. And uh, had you, when, when, when uh, he got you set up with Dusty, Dusty takes a look at these pictures and says, yeah, I want to I look at this guy. Uh, what was that first meeting like? Because had you ever stepped in the ring? Had you any training at this point? I had some training by Eddie Sharkey, who, of yeah. course, did, did the Road Warriors. Right. He did uh, Kurt Henning. You know, he did uh, those guys and that. And uh, Rick Rude. Um. I had really never, I'd been in a ring one time before then. Yeah. So my first show is an, is a TV that they're going to go ahead and make so they can televise it. Right. And there's like 2,500 people in the crowd. I think when I did my first show I ever did, I think there was maybe 25 people in the crowd. <laughs> so it's like, I'm sort of nervous as heck, yeah. you know, and, and all the old, you know, of course, all, you know, you know how the sport is with the old, the old guys. Hey kid, don't worry about it. You know, only only all those people you screw up. Everybody at home watches. Well, that makes me feel great. Yeah, thanks. Oh, <laughs> so you're going back and forth to the bathroom about ten times before you even hit the ring. And I hit the ring. I think I did three moves, finish it, boom, one, two, three. That I said, wow, this is a nice living. I like this, man. This yeah. is cool. I can make yeah. a living doing this. <laughs> you know? But uh, no, it was it was fun. They they gave me Baby Doll, which she was a hot thing at the end time the, the NWA, and yeah. then. Uh, she came to talk, and then of course Dusty came out to talk next to her, which even gave me more of a push right there to have Dusty come out. Right, and and there were a lot of uh, uh, big names with the NWA at the time, and um, as I mentioned, Nikita, and he talks about uh, when we when I had a conversation with him, he talked about how much Ivan Koloff helped him. Uh, 
did he do the same for you? Did he uh, kind of take you under his wing, or or how did who was it that really helped you at that time? Um, well, you know, I, I got together with Barb, and yeah. Barb really taught taught me a lot to work as a big man. We got together. We just we clicked together. Him and me just came together so nice. And and Ivan, of course, came in with us, and yeah. he became our six man partner. We had winning the belts. Right. And uh, Ivan was great. Ivan, we always called the machine. That was Ivan, the machine. Yeah. Because he could just go and go and go, man. And just, he was incredible to be in the ring with, to be around, and to learn from. I mean, Mm -hmm. Ivan was great. I loved Ivan. I loved Ivan. Great man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like I said, Nikita credits, you know, because when he stepped in the ring, he didn't know anything. And it was, you know, on the road. And I don't know if it was the same for you as far as a university for wrestling was basically... Uh, learning in the ring at night, uh, traveling to these different shows, and then the real classroom was riding in the cars between whatever the venue was. Yes, it was. We we did a lot when we were in cars. We'd always talk and go through things and learn a lot from that. Yeah. Uh, and you you said that you met up with Barb. Uh, you know, you're talking about the Barbarian, of course. And how did that union happen? Was it just circumstance? He was there, you were there, and they said, hey, let's pair these guys up, or how did that work? No, actually, well, the first time I came in, I uh, I saw Barb. He would be training at my gym. We really never uh-huh. talked. And uh, <laughs> he's there, a man of few words. There for maybe, yeah, he's a very man of few words. <laughs> and if he does talk, a lot of times you don't understand him because yeah. he, he talks like pidgin English. I call it. Yeah. Ooh, so I, I'm used to it. Yeah. But if you're not yeah. used to it, you won't understand. Yeah. So I ended up being there. I was maybe in NW maybe four months. And they sent me off to Kansas City. They bought the Kansas City Territory. Mm-hmm. And when I got over there, I was there for about nine months. Um, you know, maybe a better rest. I learned a lot. I learned a lot over there. Um, got a chance. Guy came in from Japan, saw me. Took me to Japan for six weeks. And I learned a lot in Japan. Yeah, um, I was going to ask you Came back. That. Yeah. Came back. Um, decided to go back to Minnesota because there's really nothing for me to learn there anymore. And about two weeks after Minnesota, so I get a call, and I don't know how they got a hold of my parents' number because my mom, my mom and dad called me. Yeah, there's a J.G. Dillon that called you, and they they want to talk to you. Hmm. How the heck did he get my number up here, man? Yeah. So I call him back. He says, "I want you to come back down to the NWA." Uh-huh. Um, went back down there, and after being there for a short period of time, Barbara and me started talking, and that's when we developed a real good relationship, and the two of us had just. The way we did things and our work and everything else, we just kind of, it just clicked really good. So was the, the powers of pain, was that something that you guys came up with? Was that uh, something that, uh, you know, Crockett or, or Dusty, where did that, uh, how did that happen? Another one of Animal's inventions. Oh, boy. Yeah, I did a move with them. Yeah, I did a move in Indiana with them. Big move, put them on my back. Did this move, and I guess just on we're so big of people with all the inertia come down that somehow or another, my shoulder blade hit him in the eye and it pushed his eye back in a socket. And mm-hmm. that's when he got that orbital injury. And after that, um, he came back one time, we sat down, started coming days, said, brother, you, you guys, you guys are a pain in the ass. And we came with powers of pain on that. Oh. <laughs> that's funny how things, uh, how things come to to be uh, from different circumstances, but you mentioned it since you brought it up that that injury that 
that Joe had. And he tells that story uh, where, I mean, his eye basically like popped out of his socket uh, because of the weight. He blew his nose. He blew his nose and the eye started popping out. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and it was a severe injury. I mean, I, I, most humans could not uh, handle that. Uh, I mean, basically had his, his head squeezed like a melon. And uh, no, but you're you're talking a different kind of human here. And I think uh, maybe you can confirm it because I remember him telling the story that, I mean, he got he was involved in like a bench press uh, contest or something the next day. And (laughs) yeah, it was it was actually it was actually just, yeah, it was a couple days later um, because he was going to get he was going to get the surgery. So (sighs) he kind of had his eye all taped up for it. And uh, I mean, we went to it was in Greensboro, North Carolina, the bench press contest. Yeah. And there were so many people. They actually had to turn away a ton of people that wanted to still come in the arena. 20,000 people plus, and they said turn a, turn a lot of people away for this bench press contest. But yeah. it just happened to work at the right time because we did the, the, the gimmick on it, and it came out so good that when it was done, we were just standing there, and they were, they were all on the ground. You could hear a pin drop in that place. Not one person was saying one word in that whole place. It was so quiet. Jeez. I mean, it was just, and you see the chalk coming down. It was just like something you see in a movie. Yeah. I mean, it was just a wild feeling. I mean, you had goosebumps over because it it's just a wild feeling going through you. It's just amazing, though, that he would do that. Did you guys try and talk him out of it? I mean, here he had his eye basically, I mean, it could have hemorrhaged or something. You talk, you've talked to Joe. You know how Joe is. You can't talk about it <laughs> Joe, yeah. first thing you do when you talk to Joe, he'll put that head back, he'll stick his neck out, and yeah. he ain't going to back off. That's it's Joe. Not changing. Yeah, that's amazing. And I think that, didn't they have, this bench press was in the ring. Is that right? It was like in, no, in the it was on, the... it was right on the side. No, it was right on the side. The ring was right next to it. It was on the okay. side. Okay. Let me, tell you about, let me tell you about the bench press one second here. They yeah. were all so pumped up for this thing. I mean, I think Joe could have easily done over 600 pounds that day, no problem. He was so pumped up for it. Oh. You know, I mean, I know I, I was benching over six. Barb was benching over six. And I know Joe could have probably that day, he was even with a bad eye, he was so pumped up, he could have, have bent over six. When we did this thing, yeah. and I went ahead, I, I Barb gave him that, when, when Joe got up and that thing was, he got up and Barb him with that big boot. And I took it, I threw his head into those weights. Now you're talking, there was around 550 or 600 pounds on that bench. And all it did is went over slow-mo, real slow. It's like, like I say, out of a movie. And it hit that ground. It cracked that concrete. Hawk's head was not supposed to be around that. It did not (laughs) miss Hawk's head by that much. His head wasn't supposed to be there. I, I just like, oh my god! And just like, oh, you know, just wow! This is. <laughs> I'm like, all right, thank God that didn't happen because that would be not you, be good. Yeah, you almost you personally know? wiped out the entire Road Warrior tag team on your own. Oh god! In, one, in a was, matter of days, it was crazy. But oh. it made it made even. Yep, but it even made it larger than life. The whole thing it made it larger than life. Oh my god! Oh, what a rush! As uh, Hawk would have said. Oh yeah. Uh, so it's amazing how you guys, uh, your paths would continue to cross, but, uh, you had some legendary matches with them even early on in the, in the NWA. And, um, 
I, I couldn't help but wonder, because in a lot of ways, you were similar in, in uh, your styles, and they didn't object to that at all. They, they, or, or uh, it sounds like they helped you along the way. They did help us. They, they, uh, they gave us our blessing. We yeah. asked them, and they said, guys, <laughs> they said, you guys are even bigger than us. This is the first time we even get a sell. We don't sell to nobody. Nobody. Huh? And if right. we actually have somebody now that we can actually work and sell for and actually be real baby faces now. So what were those matches like? I mean, you guys are, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure you're, 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 uh, you're, you're uh, uh, landing these. Uh, that's the way you worked. I mean, that's just the way it was part of it, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, it was, it, it, was, it, was, it was rough. I mean, you better be ready every single night. I mean, we were in shape. We yeah. were huge. And no one backed off from nothing. When you lay something in, you laid it in. When, when you get one of those chops from Hawk, you get some of those flying things from Hawk, let me tell you. He was yeah. coming from outfield. He was going all, all out with it. And, but that's the way we were. We loved it that way. Yeah, and I was going to say, if you didn't lay it in, yeah, if you didn't lay it right. in, they no were going to believe you. They were going to potato that's right. you, right, Matt. Yeah. That's right. Wow. And you know what? Let you lay it in. and Because they you know they work Japan so much, and Barbie worked Japan so much. We just go and work like you do in Japan. I mean, when you go to Which Japan, shoot, basically. you better be ready every night because they go. And they don't stop, and they go full out. Hey, everybody. Sorry to break in here, but I have some breaking news. Yes, I do. I'm a newsman. I can do that. And I am very excited to announce that I will be taking part in a major upcoming documentary on the late, great Rowdy Roddy Piper. It is coming your way early next year. And guess what? As a PTSM patron, you have an exclusive opportunity to be featured in it, too. Now, as I just mentioned, right now this opportunity is exclusive to PTSM's Patreon members. But if you become a Patreon member by July 26th, you can be part of it as well. Just go to patreon.com slash primetimemooney, join up, and then you can share your best Roddy story, memory, encounter. And the producers will then choose the best entries and the winners will get to call in in this segment and share their Roddy moment with me live on air. This is your chance to be heard by literally millions of people. So make it count. Join us. Ready? Go. Uh, Well, first, get back to the podcast. And, and, uh, you know, as far as these these matches go, I hadn't really looked at it that way that uh, you're right. They didn't have anybody they could sell to because they couldn't. These nobody, everybody else, at least in the ring, uh, looked inferior to them. So they probably yeah, loved these no one, matches. Yes, they did. They had never worked or had a team that was actually bigger than them that, that could do that kind of stuff where these guys could actually sell now for once in their lives, which made them huge baby faces. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's I, I hadn't looked at it from that perspective, but uh, I met, God, they must have loved those matches. And this is all happening pretty quick, Terry. Uh, you guys, I think you arrived there in 86. Uh, and, you, of course, you know what's going on uh, in New York uh, with, with the WWF. It's just exploding there. Um, was that a, a vision of yours that uh, at some point you would want to make that move? Or were you just enjoying what you were doing? And I'll wait and see what happens. To tell you the truth, mine was always a vision when I was in college and I watched the first time WWF ever came on cable TV. And I said, wow. I just sat there and looked. The glitz and the glamour, the lights, everything. I mean, just the guys, the way they looked. And I, a lot of my football team were I said, guys, this is what I want to do someday. They started laughing. I said, truly. 
I would love to do that someday. That is so cool. So it was. It was always something that uh, you were thinking about. So how did the move come about? Did they, uh, I'm sure, you know, it's funny because you mentioned that, you know, Dylan got your number, or, uh, but it was a, a, a small wrestling community when you think about it back then. All of the other organizations knew each other very well. Uh, they had, you know, traded talent over the decades, and then you've got the WWF, but still there was a lot of, they knew everything that was going on. It was this uh, underground internet, I think you'd call it, because they still knew uh, you know, they had uh, tapes that people were giving them. They had plants in different places that would report on who these guys were. So, I mean, did you know you were on their radar? For WWF at the time? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We we knew. And let me tell you the story of how that happened now. Uh-huh. Um, you remember Grizzly Adams? Oh, yeah. He was one of the road, he was one of the road agents at the time for them. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. when Barbara and me were in Charlotte, we had we had a uh, an off off day on a on a uh, what was it? It was a Friday. Mm-hmm. Grizzly got a hold of Barb's number. He called Barb at home. He said, "Barb, this is Grizzly Adams from WWF. We would like to fly you guys in. If you're off tomorrow, we'd like to fly you guys into Charlotte tomorrow morning. We have something we'd like to talk to you about." So Barb called me and said, "Hey, he goes, and this is why Barb talked to him. Hey, Teddy." We, Grizzly Adams from WWF, call us. We go to Charlotte tomorrow. He just told us, we're going to Charlotte tomorrow. Yeah, okay, right. Barb, we're going to Charlotte tomorrow, okay? It wasn't so a question. We go to the airport. No, no, Barb, no. He, he, so next morning, we go ahead and yeah. we go to the airport. Our tickets are waiting. Fly into Atlanta. We get to Atlanta, big limo waiting outside for us. Takes us beautiful hotel right over by the airport. Give us a key when we come in there. Go up to a room, open a room, and they're sitting Pat Patterson, Hulk Hogan, and Vix McMahon. Oh, That's really? Yeah. Wow. It's like, oh, my God. You know, unreal. What, all right, what's going on here, you know, looking yeah. around, you know. And so Barb and me sit down. You know, Barb really didn't talk a whole lot. You know, like I said, he doesn't talk a whole lot. We sit down. They go through their spiel. And they said, what do you think? I'm sort of thinking, well, I said, well, God, man, we got three months of scaffold matches coming with Road Warriors for NWA coming up. Yeah. We got this and that. And Barb, first thing comes out of his mouth, when do we start? I'm like, <laughs> Barb, where'd that come from? So they look and they say, we want you to start Monday. And this is a Friday. Oh, boy. I'm like, Monday? I'm like, all right, what are we supposed to do? First thing, Barb looks at me and goes, we'd be there Monday. I said, we are Barb, okay. I guess we're going to be here Monday. All right. And we got a big show the next day in Baltimore for uh, the NWA for defend our six-man belt. <laughs> now, this is a funny story, too, now. We go ahead. We get back that night back into Charlotte. We go ahead. We fly the next morning up to Baltimore. Now, we don't say nothing. We get in the ring with Ivan, Barbie. We don't say a word over there. In comes Hawk, Dusty, and Paul Elling, because Paul Elling was substituting for uh, Animal at the time because of his injury. Right. Getting ready to start the match, and also the Road Warriors music comes back on. I said, what the heck? Now, I did not know Joe was there, Animal. Uh-huh. And all of a sudden, here he comes out with a hockey mask on with his face paint. I'm like, wow, I didn't, okay. So he comes into the ring. He tags Hawk, because Hawk was going to start with Barb. 
And as they're just about ready to start, he stops. He rips the mask off. Underneath, he's got his face painted underneath the mask because oh. his eye had healed by then. And he threw that mask to the crowd. And let me tell you about the fight in that crowd for that mask. Really? We had to wait for a while because people were fighting over that mask. The police had to go over there because so many people were fighting for his mask. They wanted that mask. So Was that a, a packed we did house? A match. Yeah, packed. So yeah. we did the match. And, you know, we got disqualified, but you, know, you, had to end up, you had to lose. So we still held the belts. So we get to the back. And as we get to the back, Barb goes ahead. He grabs a can of beer. He goes up to Dusty. He goes, Dusty. He goes, we go to WWF on Monday. <laughs> I'm like, oh, just my like God. That? Dusty, just like that? Just like that. I mean, Dusty's jaw just hit the ground. Ugh. Animal comes over. He shakes her hand and says, good, guys. That's good because... We weren't going to fall off those scaffolds every night. <laughs> you guys were, you know. So, I mean, it was, it was that's even a funnier story than that is that we went to the WWF on Monday. We started with them. Now, we did two TVs that, that uh, Tuesday and Wednesday. We did TVs. We ended up back. Now, no one has seen us on TV for WWF. So, no one knew we were in WWF yet. We were back in Baltimore. That next Saturday night, the same arena sold out in, in there. And Demolition goes out with Fuji. They put music on. They gave us music. They put music. Now, the week before, the people wanted to kill us. Yeah. They put our music on. We came out. We cleared the ring with them. And we were walking back. The people wanted to hold our hands and marry us that night. They yeah. loved us so much. I mean, only in wrestling can that happen. Only but, wrestling. but how did this how does this deal work? Uh, I mean, I don't know how they worked back then, but you give them notice on, on, on a, uh, after a match on Saturday that you're going to start on Monday. And uh, how did the, how did they first of all, you say Dusty's jaw hit the floor, but also you you have the belts. So uh, was <laughs> how did that all uh, unfold? Well. I I went ahead. I, I I went and talked to Ivan. I even understood. I even said, "That's good, guys. That's great. WW is great." You know, I gave my belt back. Barb didn't tell me he was keeping his belt. He kept his belt. So Barb has the belt to this day yet. Beautiful belt. You know, but um, you know, it, it's just like I say. You know, it's I guess it's the business world, like anything. Well, they didn't and have. We a, I mean, I don't know how. That's what I said. The question I was asking. I mean, that they didn't have. I always wondered how they worked those deals. Was it, I mean, uh, the contract, did you have contracts or was it? No, yeah, there, was, was no there was no contract at NWA at the time, no, no. Yeah, so they're bad uh, back then too. I mean, it worked both ways, I guess. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. there was no, there was no actually no contract at the time. Yeah. Well, so you, you start, you uh, fulfill this dream uh, at the time. And so... First, you, you, the meeting to me is just incredible, and I don't know. Did you know Terry prior to that? Yeah, I. You know what? And that's another funny story. I met him one time when I just when I just got into the school here in, in Bloomington, Minnesota. I just went to the school for wrestling. Yeah. And I was invited to go to the Met Center to watch a WWF match. It was sold out that night, and they put us in a special spot. But they brought us in the back to meet the guys. And I met Terry mm -hmm. and he came up to me and said, brother, you're a big guy. He says, you might be here someday, brother. Maybe I'll see you down the road. Yeah. And that's, a, that's funny because I did see him down the road. Yeah. That's, uh, 
And I guess what they have him there to just if they, if they need a, a sealer for the deal or something, I mean, just thought that that might help uh, grease the skids or something. Why was Terry there? I, I don't know. I listen. Any of those people, I would have signed with them in a heartbeat at that time. WF was a place to go. It was, it yeah. was, it was, it was, yeah. you know, it was, it's a, it was a mecca of wrestling. It, it, it is then, it is now, and it's always going to be for life. That's that's it. Yeah. Well, our arrival time was uh, pretty similar. I got there in 88 as well. And uh, I know what my perception was. Uh, I'd love to hear yours when you when you first got there um, after working in the NWA, which was a great organization. But uh, it had to just blow you away to see what was going on then with the WWF. It's, it's, it's a different level. Yeah. It's, it's a complete different level. Listen, the wrestling, as far as the wrestling, was incredible in the NWA. They were mm-hmm. great wrestlers. They could perform and they could wrestle. Yeah. WF was about entertainment. Entertainment was so, it was just, that was the incoming thing now. The glitz, the glamour, the lights. Um, the characters were larger than life. I yeah. mean, when you talk about USA, they say characters welcome. We were the characters. We were the real characters back then. Yeah, and I've had several conversations about that because people, of course, want to try and break down that era. Like, what was it? What was it that made it you know, so great? Why do people still think so much about it? And I think you just you hit it that uh, you were you were the characters. You lived them, and uh, you know there was this creative freedom. Uh, a lot of the times with the the, the promos you guys cut, the storylines you did, there was just a, a very different uh, uh, way they did things back then. And I also think it was just an era where, you know, the, you know, a lot of young people discovered it and they really were, it was comic book come to life. I mean, you'd go there and just lose yourself in these, in these characters. You're exactly right. That, that's how it was. Comic book characters that became live, they became live people. I mean, like yeah. I say, the first time Barney went to our first TV and we come into the, into the arena, going back towards the locker room. And all of a sudden here goes, Andre the Giant walking by, like, I'm like, I got these two big bags, and I'm like, I'm just staring. Yeah. Here goes, you know, Hulkster go by. And also, here goes Randy Savage, and, you know, the way Randy talked, he turns and goes, what's up, brothers? Welcome to the WWF. Nice to have you here. I looked at Barb, I said, Barb, that's his real voice. And yeah. I dropped my bags, because I couldn't believe that was his real voice. Yeah. I always thought it was just a gimmick voice. It was his real voice. Yeah. Sounds like you guys were like kids. Coming into the backstage I was like of the a kid circus. I was. I was like a kid that got a big lollipop now, and this is cool, man. This yeah. is great. Well, and I mentioned when I when we started this conversation that you know the big men were just. Um, I mean, Vince was uh, you know, bigger the better, and uh, we we did have certainly you know the, had some high flower flyers, the Rockers, and of course you know some others, but it really was the big men era, and uh, and also it was a great time for tag teams. I think we had as many tag teams as we had singles uh, superstars. So uh, that also had to be pretty awesome to come in like that. And then when, when tag teams were just so big in wrestling. Oh, I love I love tag teams. Tag team was so – it was such a different time for tags back then. Actually, the tags, yeah. they went together hand in. Now when they, when they just kind of throw them together now. They really yeah. don't mean much together. Back yeah. then – they went together and it was just, everything was just so beautiful when it came. I mean, the tags look incredible together and they were fun mm. to watch. Oh, absolutely. 
And uh, I think when you first came in, you guys came in as, as uh, baby faces because they wanted you to work with uh, demolition. And had you uh, ever crossed paths with with uh, Axe and Smash, Bill and, and Barry before that? Yeah, I actually met. Uh, I didn't. I did not know Bill. But uh-huh. I met Barry. I met. I actually knew him from NWA because mm-hmm. uh, he had he had gone over there because um, I worked with Barry a couple times in NWA. And then also when I uh, when I was first went to NWA, then I went to Kansas City. And yeah. when I was in Kansas City, he had just made the move to WWF at the time and yeah. got together with Bill, and they became Demolition. Yeah. And I went to a show in Kansas City when they were there when I was in Kansas City and went to see Barry and say hi and that stuff. You know, it was pretty cool to see him come on that outfit and just like, wow, Barry, that's, yeah. that's awesome. That's cool. That was really yeah. neat. And it's amazing, though, through a twist of fate that he ended up with Demolition because, uh, was it Moondog Rex if we, uh, was the original uh, that came up with the idea for Demolition, but he was so well-known that it didn't work. And that opened a door for Barry, right place, right time. And, uh, you know, just what an incredible uh, tag team they were. Were they a tag team that you uh, admired uh, before you got to the WWF? Yeah, I watched them on TV. I thought that they were, they they both they both went together. Like I say, as a tag, they went together great. And the yeah. outfits the outfits were so awesome. Look, I love those outfits. Yeah, no kidding. So uh, working with them the first time, uh, and you guys had a, a bunch of matches. But uh, did did it go well, or did it take a while? No, it actually went it actually went well. You know, I mean, you know, you got. I was the I was the very I was a young one. I'm the young boy out there. So I'm still, I'm still learning. Even at that point, I'm still learning a lot all the time. Uh-huh. Um, it was, it, let, me, let me just say, Bill had a lot of experience. Yes. So you could listen to Bill a lot. Barry was in it for quite a while. So he had a lot of good experience. Barb had been around. But Barb was a good, worked as a great big man. And that helped me a lot. Um, but, you know, it just, it, it was one of those things, again, that, that clicked together. We could work nice matches with them and have, have uh, you know that made a lot of sense that people loved in that stuff. Yeah. And what was that? What was that time like, uh, Terry? When you were because I, I've talked about it many times the the, the incredible schedules that you guys had to uh, adhere to oh, to be on the road back then. Now, people don't see that today at all. It's it's a long gone uh, era. But when we were doing uh, you know house shows, pretty much every single night, some double shots. What was that life from what you remember, uh, you know, a typical week for you? I, I don't, I, I still remember this day. People ask me, I yeah. said, you know, it's a work probably about 300, when we were going at about 320 times a year. And people's sure. jaws just dropped to the ground. Yeah. I right, said, this right. is one of my, this is, this is one of my weekends I told them one time. I, went, I started out in Minneapolis. I flew to Washington, D.C. that morning to do a show at the Cap Center. Mm-hmm. Did the show in the cap the afternoon, had to go back, catch a flight out of Washington, up to Boston that night to do a show in the Boston Garden that night. Did a show in the Garden. Yeah. After that night, had to fly the next morning all the way out to Denver, Colorado. Got in Denver, had to do a show in Denver that afternoon, drive down to Colorado Springs that night, do a show in Colorado Springs, go back to Denver to catch a flight out the next morning up to Seattle. Did a show in Tacoma that night. Caught a flight out of Seattle the next day to go down to Phoenix, Arizona. Did a TV in Phoenix. Drive to Tucson. 
did a TV in Tucson, had to go back to Phoenix, fly to Dallas, did a show in Dallas, and then go up to Madison Square Garden the next day. And this is a span of how many days? Like uh, maybe six, five, six days, maybe five days or something. Wow. Yeah. And they did. That was a short one at the time. That was just a five-day. Then you get some of those where you do like a 17-day tour. <laughs> yeah. No, you know, you're I doing – but, but people realize in the wintertime, from starting from about November – all the way up to WrestleMania, you're doing two shows every Saturday and Sunday. You're doing two shows in yeah. different cities. Yeah, you're doing them. Yeah, and and they would try to uh, to group you in different areas where they would, uh, and and that would consist of say I don't know how many times you would drive and then you would hop on a flight and go somewhere else and then do a a, a two city tour there because the cities were close enough, um, and. and was that the same? And was it always? Did you and uh, Barb just travel together, or did you team up with other guys, or was it just you? No, when we were together, we just pretty much traveled by ourselves. Yeah, but it was that. that but it was that's the way it worked, and, and you know the guys would go uh, between cities, and there was still a level of kayfabe. I mean, it wasn't uh, you know something that it would you'd get fined or anything. But for the most part, they didn't like the baby faces or the heels mixing when they were out. And it was, uh, it, it, it's just when you try it, like you just explained, and people listening to that are going to say, that is incredible. That was, what, 200 and something days a year? Because you didn't get many days off. No, we, I, I was lucky if I got uh, four days off a month. Yeah. Just amazing. Uh, what were some of the other tag teams that you really enjoyed working with? Of, of course, later you would, uh, you know, see with the Road Warriors again, but, um, but who were some of the other teams? And I always wanted to uh, uh, like the fact that one thing that they would do is they would do, they would mix these big teams again with, against a small team. Like they would have uh, the Rockers go up against Demolition or, uh, you know, against you guys. And how did those matches work when it wasn't just power on power? That, that's, that's one of the best – some of the best matches we ever had yeah. in uh, WWE as a tag – was against the Rockers. Yeah. Um, Marty and Sean were, they knew how to bump. These guys could, they knew how to work with big men. And they knew how to, you know, when you get a big man, they knew how to double up on you. But they also knew how to take those bumps, and they took some serious bumps. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's one where I was in Madison Square Garden. Remember, they always had that big light over the ring. I gave Sean, you know, Sean a backdrop. I turned on, I didn't see him yet. He actually hit the left. He got so <laughs> high in the air that he hit the light above him. Holy. I was like, and then he came down and said, Sean, where are you? <laughs> I know I gave you a big ball, but my God, I mean, you know, he actually hit it. Yeah. I mean, those, those two were, they were, they, they were a great tag. Yeah, they knew each other well. They both could wrestle. And uh, like I say, they knew how to work with big tag teams. Yeah. And I, I, I don't, I should give WWF credit, WWE credit for, because, before that, it it seemed it was always the you know the big man against the big man, and if they were going to do a high flying match, it was going to be this high flying match, everybody all over the place. And I, I like like you mentioned, I enjoyed those matches better when you would see uh, a, you know a, a tag team like Powers of Pain go up against the Rockers because if they were uh, good workers, if they knew what they were doing, those were incredibly entertaining matches because they had to get creative to make it work. 
Yes, they did. And he, uh, like I say, um, the, the Rockers are great. It was, it was some of our best matches we ever had in that. And um, just just a lot of fun. And the people loved it because you do. You got David and Goliath out there. That's exactly what you yeah. have. Yeah. And at this point, I mean, you're weighing uh, 325 or plus, I would think. And yeah, I was I was always amazed. I mean, how did you think your mobility was? Because I was amazed at how you moved in the ring. I got as heavy as I could, as long as I could still move good and I could breathe good. Yeah. You know, I didn't want to be too heavy. Every once in a while, you know, I'd bend over and tie those shoes and catch my breath a little bit. I said, oh, maybe it's time to back off and wait a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. And what was your what was your workout regimen then? And and uh, you know what were you putting into your body at the time too? To keep I was that eating side. just about anything anything you just about possibly think. I would eat cake, ice cream. You know, back then it was just about getting calories because we would burn so much every single day. You know, in the ring, um, between the gym and in the ring, we'd burn so much, and you weren't going to get fat. You definitely weren't mm-hmm. going to get fat. So I said, you want to eat as much as I can. And if I have an hour layover in the airport. I would run somewhere to find something to eat real fast. Any chance I had, I was putting food in my body all the time. All the time. And what about uh, other help? What kind of supplements were you doing to get that size? Because everybody was doing it. Well, yeah. I'm not going to lie. I took, I took steroids back then. I'm not, there's, no, there's no reason to lie. You know, yeah. it, it's the way it was. It yeah. was that era. It was like baseball at that time. McGuire and Sosa. What do you think mm-hmm. they were doing? Yeah. But they saved baseball because of that. Because baseball was going down. Those uh-huh. two saved the sport of baseball. And people want, like I say, people want to see the monsters. They wanted the monsters out there. So you did what it took to give the people the monster. Yeah. That's what you did. Now, were you concerned at all at the time, though, uh, what it might do to you? Or were you, uh, nobody really knew, and it wasn't like this, uh, you know, that people thought they were breaking the law or something. It was just things that enhanced you. You know, you, you know when you're so young at that time, you just think you're invincible. You didn't, huh. you didn't care. You're doing whatever it took to get where you had to be at. Yeah. So, I mean, so you didn't feel any, there was no uh, effects from it that you felt might be harming your body at all at, the, at that time? Not at all. None. Mm-hmm. So at what, how, how big did you get? Because I, I just, I, I'm telling you, Terry, I just remember looking at you know, and just, I, I don't remember seeing, you know, they had big men, but you were just massive. I, I don't remember ever seeing a human being that was that big, like muscle that, and, and <laughs> I mean, how how big did you get? I got to about uh, three forty at my biggest. Yeah, and you were benching yeah, three forty. I benching mid six plus, <laughs> six fifty <laughs> plus. Yeah, like, I was. It's like a Volkswagen I was, I was a car. A, yeah, I was. <laughs> I was on a different planet at the time. It really was. Huh? And, and the funny thing is, people ask me, and I said, "That's what traveling." I mean, imagine if I wasn't traveling. How strong I could have been, yeah. you know. That's with all that traveling. You're not getting much rest. You're not getting a proper rest your body needs. Everything else. I said, you know, how, just how strong you could have really been in life. Yeah. So, uh, and uh, that's another part of the lifestyle. You would have to get to a town, uh, find a gym, then find a, you know, then you've got to, you've got to eat, you've got to get, you've got to get some sleep, and then you've got to get to the arena. 
And so did you have uh, you know, places in every town you guys would all go to the same place? And how much of a workout could you actually get, say, in a week? How many times could you do it? Well, I had a, I had a regiment. I was I was a very regimented person. Mm-hmm. If I had a seven o'clock flight, I would be up. You know, back then, of course, you didn't like today with the TSA crap. You didn't have all that stuff. You know, you could go through security in two minutes back then and beat your gate in five minutes. I mean, it was so mm-hmm. simple back then. So, if I had a seven o'clock flight, I'd be up at four thirty. I would always get a big breakfast. As soon as I get to where I got to go to, grab your rental car, get to the hotel, I would eat again. Let my stomach rest about an hour, I would go to the gym. I'd go to the gym for probably about an hour and a half, hit it real hard for an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Get back, I would go ahead, take a shower, eat, go to the show. As soon as I'm done with the show, I would eat. Get whatever few hours I could in bed, and same thing over the next day. That's all I did it every single day. Everything, yeah. was, everything was around me eating all the time keep those calories going in the body to keep the flow going keep the body going all the time and you know terry there was there was a lot going on and we we've mentioned it many times it was the rock stars life i mean you guys were you know the hottest thing on the planet and there were a lot of temptations uh were you able to to stay clear of that did you not go to the bars or or you know was it to you was it was it business all the time how did you approach that I, uh, you know, I would, I would go to the bars, say hi to the guys. I never got caught up in that life. Thank God. I never got caught up in, in where the people come and say, hey, I want to be your friend. I'll give you whatever you want. Here you go. Yeah. I, I wasn't like that. Thank God. I wasn't like that. Cause I'm still doing good. Yeah. Um, and a lot of my brothers, of course, weren't, and I, I, I loved every single one of them, you know? Um, yeah, we've a, lost lot so many. a lot of people just couldn't stay away from that temptation and life and that, um, but, um, you know, it, there, there's so many people that like to say they want to be your friends, but they want to do the wrong thing for you, mm-hmm. you know, and that, that's a problem, that stuff. You know, my, my biggest problem I always had was, you know, I, I was a womanizer. <laughs> I was. I'm, I'm, I was a womanizer, and I shouldn't have been, but I was. So. Well, uh, you know, uh, you weren't the only one on that bus. I mean, it was <laughs> yeah, well, listen. I, 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 I'll never say nothing bad about it because you know what? Yeah. I got ghosts in my closet. Yeah. Same as everybody else, I got ghosts in my closet too. So I, I leave it at that. I, I never hurt anybody. I never did anything bad towards anybody. You know, I just did some stupid things when I was a road with women when I was married at the time, which was stupid. It was very stupid of me. Yeah, but you were able to uh, to get through it. Was there a point? Uh, you know, it's like I said, there was a lot of temptations on the road and, uh, uh, you know, and Brett has talked about it before and that he said in some ways that saved him that he, he did that because he said, I would have been in, in bars probably doing worse things, but you get, you know, yeah. everybody's, you know, you can't judge. I mean, these people, uh, weren't there. You, you, you don't know what that lifestyle was like, but, uh, it, it sounded for the most part though, that it was a business to you that. Where did that discipline come from where you said, I would be up at 4.30? I mean, did you always answer the bell or the, the call, you know, the, to, to be where you're supposed because to be? Well, this was a decision I made in life. This is what I want to do. If I want to try looking the best, trying to be the best I can in that stuff, then you got mm-hmm. be, to be that way. and you got to stay on top of it all the time because the second you get away from it, you're going to screw it all up. Yeah. So if you stay with it all the time, regiment it all the time, you're going to stay what you want to do and stay the course. Yeah. 
You know, and uh, I never understood this, but I think when in 1990 they split you guys up. Uh, what was going on at the time? I didn't know what happened in behind the scenes. Did it just that one day they just decided, oh, we're gonna we're gonna split this this team up and and have you guys in singles? Uh, what led to that? Because I thought you guys were over big time. You know, to this day, I really don't know. Um, all I know mm-hmm. is they came up to us and said, listen, we'd like to split you up. Uh, basically, they were saying, like, you know, I want you to work with Hogan down the road and you mm-hmm. to work with Warrior down the road. Barb, we're going to give you this outfit. Terry, we're going to give you this outfit. Mm-hmm. That's basically that's basically how it was. And were you uh, really upset at the time, or were you just trusting that, hey, they must have a better plan? What were you thinking when it happened? It, it hurt because I love being with Barb. Um, yeah. I thought we were a great tag team together. We really were in that stuff, you know. Um, but, you know, I also understand that they brought in Joe and Mike there at that time, and I know they're going to start pushing them hard over there. You know, and uh-huh. I understood all that from a business point of view, you know. And there's, I have no ill feeling what's that, towards that whatsoever, you know. Um, it's, just, it's, it's just a part of the business, and you got to look at it that way. And, and do you, you know, think and, that's and, what it came down to? I think that's what it came down to. That and they also, didn't, you know, they, the outfit there. Yeah, I think that's pretty much what it came down to. Is that they were coming in, and this is what's going to happen. Yeah. And did you feel lost for a time there in singles? I mean, that's not something you had done in a long time. <laughs> I was at first. I yeah. sucked. <laughs> I'm dead serious. I sucked at first. Uh, it's been a long time. Yeah. When you get into a tag, you, you get into that rhythm of working with your partner, you know, and you know each other so well. And all of a sudden, you're doing it on your own. It's like, okay, I am kind of lost here now. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like going back to ground zero and starting to try to start from very ground up again. And how long did it take you? It took a little while. But thank God they gave me Tito Santana. Yeah. And Tito was, as we all know, is a great worker. And oh, Tito yeah. helped me a lot. Yeah. He helped me a lot to get me back into the groove again. Well, you worked with, with Slick, too, right? Yeah. Slick, uh, yes. Slick was a great guy, but uh, yeah. what a talker. <laughs> yeah, talker. and I was going to say, what was that experience like with with, uh, with Slick? Oh, Slick, I, I, like I said, I love Slick, man. Slick was, he could talk. I mean, you know, the man, <laughs> you, know, I mean, you know, he's he's got his own congregation now today at Fort Worth and all that stuff. I mean, he's a great talker. Great talker. Yeah, the real deal. Um. What what stands out from that period? I mean, you you, you uh, had a thing with the uh, the British Bulldog uh, at WrestleMania seven. Uh, what stands out during that part of your your time with the WWF? Um, pretty much, you know, during the time when I was singles and that stuff, I you know, I, I love working with Davy Boy. Davy Boy was a, he was a he's a big guy, looked great, great athlete. I mean. You know, he, he just, a, you know, just a super, super good person, that stuff, you know. And yeah. he was over with the people, huge. I mean, he was over. And then the other one I loved working with is I love working with Brett the Hitman Hart for the Intercontinental Belt. I mean, Brett, yeah. I always said, man, if you could not work with Brett, you should not be in the WWF because that guy could work with anybody. Yeah, no kidding. And make him look like a million dollars. And make him look like a million dollars, yes. Yeah, yeah. But do you think that it just never really happened after that in singles that uh, because you would leave in, in 92? Uh, 
did you just feel like they were they 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 tried to give you a couple of pushes and then that was it yeah that's how i felt yeah but you know i was still a kid at that time yet i really i didn't understand it as a true business mm -hmm. i don't know i just i you know where most of the older guys they understood i i didn't i treated it still as like a kid yet mm -hmm. if i if i was there now i would treat it totally different be a whole different perspective on it but you know it was just like you know just just like it still was just like glitz and glamour all the time to me like having a big uh being given a big thing of candy to you yeah so if given that if you knew then what you know now how, how would you have done it differently Oh, I would have been, I would have been there here all the time. <laughs> like I thought, like I knew a lot, like Jake was a lot of other people were in that stuff. Always be in the ear in that stuff. You'll let them know, Hey, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm here. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's try this. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you know, just, you, you do it a lot different down on that stuff. Always be in their face all the time. You know, right, so you like kind of laid back. Yeah. So you kind of laid back yeah. and just let them decide what they wanted to do with you all the time. Yep. Let them decide all the time. Yes. Yeah. Well, uh, that happened to a lot of people, and and and, and uh, you know, others that maybe weren't uh, necessarily as talented in the ring, but uh, like you said, knew how to sell themselves or had a, a different ideas. Uh, you know, ended up getting uh, big pushes, and that's that's kind of the way it works because you know you are your own business in the WWE. That that's it. They're independent contractors, and that means that you are independent. And nobody else is selling for you if you're not. <laughs> you're right about that. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So when, when, uh, after you left that and uh, left there in 92, uh, did you just work for a bunch of different organizations? Were you hoping you'd get brought back? What, what was that a period of time like for you? Cause you were still in, in great yeah, shape. Actually, yeah. I actually worked for, I started working for a lot of independents around the country and that's yeah. everywhere and went overseas some, went to Japan and all that. Um, you know, but you know, as in anything, you know, you can only do that for so long and everything kind of starts to sizzle out a little bit, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, it was, you know, I, I, I enjoyed it. It was fun at first and it just kind of started getting old after a while. You know, what? Well, and also was that was thing. not a great period of time for independence either. That the nineties or those early nineties were rough and, and was, yeah, was it You're right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a good book. And then, uh, you know, then going to the WCW, though, would it, uh, you know, that was a time when, you know, they were starting to build momentum. And uh, how did that opportunity come about? Because you were back with Bar Barbarian. Yeah, but they, they wanted to do that, they, the mass thing. As, super um, Assassins? I forget, I forget yeah, Super Assassins, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And it just, you know, we go out there and everybody knew who we were. I mean, you couldn't, I mean, how do you not tell as big as we were? You know, we come on, everybody's going, Warlord, Barbarian. I mean, like, oh, great. Okay, well, this is dead. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what I do you do? I mean, everybody knows it's you. Yeah. Everybody, everybody out there. So it's just Could you a not, dead thing in the water. Did you not own the name? The Powers of yeah, Pain? I yeah, mean, we own, yeah, we own the Powers of Pain, right. So why didn't they let you use that and come in? As they the... they wanted to use it. They wanted to try some of the Super Assassins. Oh, boy. That's what they wanted. Yeah. Why use something That's that works? <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I don't run the business, so I can't say nothing, you know. And so I said, okay, let's try it. I mean, hey, you know, but I, yeah. just, when you got going, everybody knew it was you. Just too big inside those outfits. Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, uh, 
misfortune uh, would come your way in 96 with the, uh, with the car accident. How bad was that accident and what happened? It was pretty good. It was a pizza delivery kid. Uh, delivering pizza, going at nighttime. I was making a left-hand turn. He had no lights on. He was speeding and boom, nailed me because he couldn't see him. And oh. uh, it screwed up my neck pretty darn good. <laughs> I mean, my neck, I, it's never been right. If you look down my right hand now, you can see all the nerve damage on it and that stuff. I mean, my right hand is like so much smaller than my left hand now. And, of no. course, you know, the right side of the body for the nerve damage um, isn't quite the same size as the, the left side anymore, you know. It's all for the nerve damage for the neck and that. So would have that accident killed a, Norman, a normal human being? Probably, um, it was it was a good jolt. <laughs> yeah, because good. I mean, and I and I make light of it. I shouldn't, but uh, but the fact that you, uh, you know, were this massive person who had quite a, a you know muscular, uh, you know, structure. Did you think that that I mean, it was as horrific as it ended up being, uh, kept you from being hurt even worse? Oh yeah, of course that muscle saves you. You got the traps, yeah. everything else. It's like your neck only goes so far, and that's it. You know, otherwise a regular person would probably jolt it all the way back. Yeah. So why in two thousand and one? I don't know how you did some uh, getting yourself put back together. Would you get on a motorcycle? <laughs> yeah, that was another one. Oh God. <laughs> that what four um, or five years later? Yeah, hit a hit a slippery spot. Um, bike slipped from under me and. Of course, you know, I put my foot out, you got an 800-pound bike, and I could squat, but 800 pounds on one leg is a, a little bit much, you know. I went oh. down to the ground. Um, I was sitting there. Thank God I wasn't scraped up or hurt anything because I wasn't going very fast, you know. And uh, I went to extend my, bend my right knee a little bit, and all of a sudden my kneecap is sticking straight out. Okay. So I kind of put my leg straight again and kind of shook my head a little bit, you know, and Tried it again. It was sticking straight out. I said, oh, brother, it's screwed up. There's something Something happened here. Um, got taken to the hospital, and uh, they went and did some x-rays. Yeah, my kneecap had, had come apart, and uh, my uh, I cracked my kneecap in half. Went to the next day to get MRI and <clears throat> showed that uh, I, I uh, tore all the uh, quadricep out, all that stuff. So... Um, not, not fun. I, uh, had a guy, I got surgery on it. Guy did a great job. Um, uh -huh. had to sit in the leg cast middle of summer in Florida with a leg cast from my groin all the way down to my ankle in 90 degree heat every single day. Having to go around because I was too heavy. I was really too heavy for the crutches. I had to use a walker. Yeah. I couldn't put any pressure in the leg. And the really thing that sucked about it is when I'd be going in the walker be a 90-year-old man that come me on the walker, and he kicked my ass going down the street, leave me behind. <laughs> that really sucked. Yeah. Wow, you were in bad shape. Um, and, you know, yeah. at, at this point, and I'm sure even in 96 that you were uh, you're still, you know, very, you could certainly get back in the ring. I think you were in your mid-30s or so at this point. Uh, was that it, a realization in 2001 that it, it wasn't going, you were never going to get back to the level you were, or were you believing that you could do it? No, it was, it was, the time was done. The time yeah. was done. Yeah. And plus at that time, you know, um, pretty much the WWE was really in the mode of, they really didn't want guys over 30 years old anymore. 
yeah. they're going through that mold at that time or certain pretty much if you're over 30, you know, unless you were around her a long time before, they really don't want you. So what is this period of your life like? And what are you, what are you thinking of? Uh, I don't know how much you had saved or what are you thinking? Okay, so where do I go from here? What did you do at the time? Um, well, that 2001 when that happened, yeah. um, September 11th, you know, you're watching it on TV like everybody was. Yeah. And first thing I decided, I'm going to start getting into the security world because that's where everything's going to be, security. Uh-huh. Security is going to be huge everywhere, bodyguards, security, right. all that. Right. So I uh, started uh, into that world, um, got the training, everything else. And a uh, guy comes in and said, I really, and at this time I didn't know who the person even was. I wanted you to come bodyguard for this uh, rapper. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay. I didn't know who he was. And also I found out it was 50 Cent. <laughs> and that's just when he had become become really hot at the time. Right. And uh, first of all, I, mean, I, I, I tell my, my stepdaughters, oh, I'm going to work you're working for 50 cents. Who is he? I don't even know who he is at the time, you know? Right. So go up there, um, fly up to New York, meet him and that stuff. Also, you start going around everywhere. I mean, and he was a busy man at that time. I mean, it was, he was on the go at the time. Yeah, he's doing and, business uh, deals and everything. Yeah, he was. And let me give him a lot of credit, man. He worked hard, man. He, he didn't smoke. He didn't uh, do any drugs. didn't drink. He would work out whenever he could all the time, and he would work, work, work all the time, trying to make that money. Um, but uh, he was a uh, very nice man in that stuff. I, I really like, I like being around him. He was a good person to be around. Yeah, really. Person. So you got to know him pretty well. Yeah, I was with him for quite a while. Yeah, huh? yeah, I went over to you... Europe with him. His first European tour. Um, when we got over, it's funny because right before we went there. We were in uh, New Jersey at the time. We we're actually in uh, downtown Manhattan. We did a, he wanted to drop into this radio station, surprise him. So we uh-huh. dropped in and when he got on the radio, all of a sudden all these cars started coming around the complex with the spinners on them, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so we have, there's four of us bodyguards. We go around the building a little bit. And all of a sudden we look, you see this one SUV down the road, but we kind of go towards it. You could see these guys come up. You see they had something in their hands, but I know they had some guns in their hands. Ooh. All right? So yeah. we get back. We let 50 know, hey, we're pulling up to the side of the building real quick, getting you in here, and we're out of here. Because yeah. he was always in a bulletproof uh, um, SUV all the time. We would always be right behind him. So we get them. We go through the, go through the, uh, out to Jersey, get to Jersey, get to the hotel. As soon as we get to the hotel, we get them in the hotel. We come back out. All of a sudden, they start, we start getting shot at out there. It was like probably about 15 shots. Really? You know, we just, all I did, we, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. We got behind, I just got behind the SUV and just sat behind the SUV, you know. And uh, then after that, nothing for a while. And I, you know, I guess they took off. Um, they really didn't hit much. I don't know if they were shooting, I guess they were just shooting handguns. Not very good shooters. Um, but uh, we oh. grabbed uh, 50, put him in, uh, in one of the uh, um, armored SUV. And he was, I didn't even know where he was even going. They wouldn't even tell us. They just took him. They had a place that this ever happened. They were bringing him to, you know? Yeah. So we, we go back in and that stuff. And, of course, a little while later, all the Jersey police came in and, you know, blah, 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 and that stuff, you know. And, I said, and then they come yelling at us. And I, and I, I got pissed. I got up. I said, what the hell are you yelling at us, man? We didn't do shit. 
Yeah. We didn't do nothing, man. They shot at us. We didn't shoot at them. And you're yelling yeah. at us, yeah. you know? And uh, <laughs> to this day, the other bodyguards always laugh about that because I was up in their face. I was so mad. Oh, yeah. I was so well. mad about the situation, you know? But, um, yeah, it was um, it was crazy. And, and so the next day, we had to fly to California to start shooting a video that he was going to shoot out there. Yeah. And when we get out there, also, I'm looking at the bottom of CNN and the caption saying, 50 cent shot at blah, blah, blah. It's all great. You know, now it's, now it's everywhere. Everybody knows about it. And we did the video two nights, had to go back to New York that day and fly out straight to Europe. So we get to Europe and everybody thought the European tours out there was going to be canceled because we were shot at, you know, they thought something happened because we were shot at, Yeah. but we were still going ahead and, um, we were still, we still were there ready to start the tour. So our first two days weren't that great. Then also people found out we were there. Now all of a sudden every show was sold out. I mean, we did three shows in a row in London, sold out. We did two mm-hmm. shows in Rome in a, in a row, sold out. I mean, every show was just crazy packed, crazy wow. packed. And why, at this point, why were they still trying to take him out? Was this like some street beef from years ago or was this record yeah, company stuff? Yeah. Yeah, you know how it is with the, the you know, the, remember the West Coast, East Coast stuff and all yeah, that, you know? Yeah, yeah. This was something to do with, um, God, I can't remember the name anymore. Um, it was about a song that he did. And one of the girls that that did the song too believed it was her song and not his song. Uh-huh. So there was a big beef about that. In fact, we went, we, got a, we went to London and we had to go to a big awards show there. And he got three awards there. And we were going to our table. And her crew was sitting at our table. And so when we got there, they saw us and they ran real quick. Because we were just a hell of a lot big, hell of a lot bigger and a hell of a lot tougher than they were. Uh, you know? Wow. I mean, it was just, you know, I learned a lot from that business, being around and seeing the crap that goes on there, too. Yeah. A lot of crap goes on over there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I know you uh, also did some security work for some other celebrities, and we'll get into that, but... Um, before we we do get there, you had uh, mentioned that uh, you know not a lot of people talk uh, highly of of Jim Helwig of the Warrior, um, and you're one of the few though that has a, a differing opinion. Uh, you know, I worked with Jim, and and it wasn't like I never had a, a, you know any major issues with him. He was just a different guy, and he was not from the business. But you had a different perspective on on the Ultimate Warrior. Yeah, I've been, been around Jimmy. I, I love Jimmy. Jimmy, I, I understood Jimmy. I always said, Jimmy is Jimmy. Mm-hmm. Let him be that way. Yeah. If you if you understand him that way, then, then you'll know who he, what he's about. I mean, Jimmy was Jimmy was a kind of a different kind of planet person. <laughs> yeah. You know, I went to Europe yeah. with Jimmy. I went to Europe with Jimmy um, after he left uh, WF at the time. Did a big tour with him and and got to really know Jimmy very well over there. And Jimmy mm-hmm. had a good heart. He wanted a lot for all the boys and that stuff, you know. I mean, he did his best when we were over there. They were trying to screw us some money, and Jimmy stuck right with me the whole time, man, and getting everybody's money. He didn't, because he already had his money. He didn't, he didn't have to do anything. He didn't mm-hmm. have to care, but he did. You know, yeah. he put everything on. He said, I'm not doing no more shows unless these guys all get paid, yeah. you know, which I thought was, a, was great, you know, because he didn't have to. He didn't have to. He was a big superstar already. He didn't have to. 
Yeah, know, and he was a very different person. I mean, there's there's no question about it. And I just think that he didn't know how to connect with these guys. And, of course, when you come in the way he did and was really not even given a chance to to – you know, find his way. It was just suddenly he was just like boom, and I don't he was think thrown he, in. yeah, and and, uh, and there was immediate resentment. So you can't do anything about that. That's just going to be there. And I just think that he never really, you know, people would say, well, he just he didn't you know go in the locker room. He wasn't that well. Was he ever given that opportunity to really be one of the boys? I don't yeah. know. I don't know if that but, ever happened. And I, I certainly can't speak for it, but maybe you can. I had been through that in NWA with Lex Luger. Lex Luger was the same way in NWA. Mm-hmm. He was thrown into a different thing there, but he was just thrown up, boom, right to the top. Yeah. No going through anything, no anything else. He was shoved right to the top. Yeah. And when that's all you know, because that's, that's what you've been given, you don't yeah. know any different. You don't yeah. know any different. Jimmy was a good person. He was a nice guy. He really was a nice guy. He was different. Yes, he was different. Yeah. But he yeah. did have a good heart. You know, and he was for the boys and that stuff. He always was for the boys. Yeah. Hey, Terry, this has really been fun. Uh, you know, and it is just amazing. Uh, you never know where the road's going to take you, but you have got to look back and 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 just look at those uh, that time so fondly. And I've mentioned it many, many times. My listeners are probably sick of hearing me say it, but there was there's a select number of humans that get this opportunity to have worked in the World Wrestling Federation or WWE as we know it today. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, there's NFL teams, and look how many players get to do it. There are not many who get the opportunity, and you have got to feel like that was just a, an incredible accomplishment in your life. Well, you know, I, like I said, I consider myself very lucky to become not only from the greatest era, I believe, in NWA that there was, because we have the Dusty Rhodes, Sting, yeah. Lex Luger, yeah. Um, you know, Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard, I mean, incredible people there. And at the key to Koloff, not only to be a part of that, but to actually go to the WWF. And I believe to be a part of the, the most incredible time there was in the WWF, you know, with Andre the Giant, Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, Ultimate Warriors, the incredible tag teams that were there. Yeah. I mean, I consider myself so lucky to be a part of both of that, you know, yeah. and then of yeah. course, you know, after that, you know, you get action figures. I mean, how many people can say they got an action figure in this world? No kidding. I mean, not me. And I tell people, I, I no missed matter, that. Yeah. <laughs> and as I say, no matter whatever happens to me in this world, if I'm yeah. not around someday, yeah. I'm here yet because people have my action figures. I'm here forever. Yeah. I live forever, no matter what. I live forever. Yeah. Uh, any? Uh, cool. I don't know what your relationship with the WWE is now, but uh, do you? Are you in contact with them? Has there been any? Uh, you know, you coming back and doing stuff for them at all? No, not really. You know, WWE moves on. You know, they they pretty much don't do much with the older guys anymore. Um, no. I would I would love it if they do because, you know, and even I say, you know, at, at my age, I'm 57 and still yeah. in great shape. You know, I me and my partner, yeah, you know, you know, we could still, you know, we'd still do shows and then we're the last tag from the generation. We're it. Yeah. We're the last tag from that generation. And we still go out and do great shows for people. Still do. Yeah. Well, you know, we can still uh, step in the ring with anybody they got and perform. Well, I'll tell you, that's, uh, that isn't necessarily, I think, what, what uh, we need to see happen. But uh, I would love to see you back in there with that uh, Legends. And 
You know what, Terry? It's a, like they say. I, I've never known an organization where "never say never" is more true. So uh, <laughs> we yeah. will wait and see. But I'd love yeah. to see that happen. Oh yeah, yeah. Listen, I, I, you know, people. A lot of people have always asked me about Vince. What do you say about Vince? I said, listen, you know, Vince. You know, Vince can be an asshole like anybody, but he's a businessman, and we yeah. understand from a business point of view. You understand what Vince is about. Yeah. He listen. I you know so many you know so many guys have said they hate Vince. I don't hate Vince. He gave me opportunity, not only on a national level, but on an international level oh, yeah. to become a, a big name. And he gave me all kinds of merchandise, which, you know, how many places are going to do that for you? Give you all this merchandise. They don't. Yeah. So I consider myself very lucky, you know, and I'll, I'll never, have, I'll never have ill feeling storm ever. Never will. Well, Terry, I hope that uh, we run into each other down the road somewhere. I'm sure it'll happen sometime, but I want to thank you so much for coming on Primetime. Of course, always. Thank you. A great conversation with Terry Zapinski, better known as the Warlord. Uh, Can you believe the guy started out as a soccer player? He was a soccer player. Uh, played one year of football in high school and then was recruited to play college football. Uh, clearly a very natural athlete. And then he got into powerlifting and then just became a monster. And I like the fact, you know, he was very honest. He was candid about uh, using steroids. I mean, back then they were all doing it. Uh, they didn't realize the dangers involved. And I just, as I said before, I just remember looking at that guy and thinking, how much bigger could he possibly get? He was gigantic. And back then, these guys were all about size and strength and power. I remember those guys, uh, you know, Joe and uh, Mike from, uh, you know, Road Warriors. And these guys, honest to God, they could lift cars. They did it. And uh, you remember seeing them hoist men in the ring uh, who weighed well over 200 pounds. And they lifted them like they were a bag of sand, like a 50-pound bag of sand. Uh, Unreal. And, uh Unfortunately, many are paying the price today with their health. We've lost uh, so many along the way. Uh, but uh, with Terry, even after two bad accidents that essentially ended his wrestling career, he says he's still pretty healthy. And uh, I certainly pray he remains that way. And I want to thank Terry for coming on PTSM. I hope our Patreon members also enjoyed his exclusive content, all of your questions that you got to send in. He answered every one of them, and he was uh, very open and answering them. And I loved his stories about being a bodyguard to the rich and famous, which was part of that, especially uh, especially about doing shots with 50 Cent. And I'm not talking about doing shots of liquor, guys. Uh, rather, shots of lead under fire protecting that rapper. Uh, but, you know, you have to be a Patreon member to uh, hear that kind of content. Uh, uh, all part of the conversation only on Patreon. And we would love to have you guys along for the ride. For the exclusive Q&A we provide with our guests every week. Uh, if you'd like to be a part of it, really, just uh, we make it easy. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash primetimemooney. That's patreon.com slash primetimemooney. Become a member now. And this week, uh, I do believe we have another watch-along coming up. This time out, Invasion 92 from Coliseum Video. That's the one you chose. That's the one uh, when we uh, became Star Trek. Uh, I did my best William Shatner impression, <laughs> which was bad, uh, but we had a great time doing that along with uh, Lord Alfred Hayes. And then we had you know, some of the superstars, Kurt Hennig and uh, Ric Flair, uh, doing direct uh, 
interaction with us. It was it was a fun tape to make, and we will be talking all about it when we have our exclusive uh, uh, watch along coming up. So don't miss that. And another thing, I know uh, Casey had a blast putting together this uh, outtake reel of my bloopers. Like I, I never thought I messed up. And you know, Casey, you're on here right now. What the heck it was that all about? When when did you start collecting these things? Because I had no idea, and then you and Evan are like, hey, man, this is great. Our Patreon members are going to love it. When when did you start doing this? You tell me to never stop recording, so I never <laughs> stop recording. <laughs> Do you have even more now you're collecting for the next one? Oh, God, yes. Oh, boy. I All think, right. I think there's there's somewhere you're, uh, you're uh, trying to make the room a little quieter. Um <laughs> By yelling at the dogs? Exactly. <laughs> oh, great. Well, uh, but the only way you're going to hear that, right, is you got to be on Patreon. Exactly. So uh, he's putting another one together, and I'm sure it's going to be uh, uh, very embarrassing for me. But uh, I have no control over that. These guys just get that up there, and you can see it on Patreon. Another big perk, our birthday shout-outs. I love these. Uh, I'll just do one. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Andy Toth. Andy Toth, happy birthday. His birthday is July 22nd. Frank Hudson, also on July 22nd. And Thomas Middaw. Middaw, I believe that's how you say it, Thomas. A happy birthday to you. His birthday is on July 22nd. You can check all this out, and we've got a lot more great content up there as well. Check it out on patreon.com slash Mooney. I believe I'm all caught up on all of my phone calls. I, I believe so. I've gone through the list, and I think I have talked to or at least tried to call everybody at least twice. I've sent out all of the pictures. If that is not the case, and I have not called you or, have, uh, or haven't sent you your picture, email me. Let me know. Email me at primetimemooney at gmail.com. It's the only way we can make sure it gets fixed. If I haven't gotten those to you, let me know. We want to thank Zip Recruiter, our sponsor for this edition of Primetime with Sean Mooney. Remember, you can try Zip Recruiter absolutely free. Just go to ziprecruiter.com slash primetime. That's ziprecruiter.com slash primetime. Okay? Zip Recruiter, the smartest way to hire. And, folks, if you like what you hear, please go to iTunes and subscribe. Uh, give us a five-star rating and a review. Believe me, it all helps out uh, check out our great collection of tees, our T-shirts, at MooneyTees.com. I think I've got it all in there. And, of course, keep spreading the word about Primetime with Sean Mooney. Tell everybody they've got to listen to this awesome podcast. Meantime, thanks for listening. I'm Sean Mooney, and I am out. Mm-hmm.